the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see you bite. Let me see your scar. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple, the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. I am Andrew Berg. Back with me this week after using up the last of the water in Arizona is Gaby Lucas. Gaby, how's it going? Good. Wait, what about Arizona? I don't know. I uh, Somebody was complaining that I made a politically motivated uh, oh. whip about you joining. So now I'm trying to tie in right. current events that are, are less right, politically right. fraught. I thought and I, I think I was, the Southwest is out of water now. Uh, well, and that yeah, seems like nonpartisanly bad. I don't know why anyone, maybe if you're like somebody who's of an age where you're going to be dead in 30 years, you don't really have to think about this, but I don't, I can't imagine moving to like Arizona right now. This is the future and it's going to get worse. <laughs> like all of my plans. I don't know if I'm a, a, a the typical millennial like I don't know if every millennial is thinking similarly to what I'm about to say but like most of my life decisions like the way that I think about how to navigate the space-time continuum into the future is like where how where where and what do I need to be and do in order to not be dead of heat stroke and or on caught on fire to death or flooded to death so I'm I think I'm just gonna live on a boat I'm gonna live on a boat like a salty person it's like uh that robert redford movie all is lost where he just just 90 minutes of him slowly dying on the boat anyway oh, um that's fun yeah while we're on the uh happy subjects today we're going to talk through what we've heard about fall camp so far we're going to go position group by position group we're going to do a highly analytical and objective observation of just giving our vibes check on each position group. I will say before we get into the start of the actual positions, it's been interesting that we heard at the start of, well, I guess Kalen DeBoer's tenure that they were going to treat the depth chart as an open competition, which is a cliche. And coaches say that every camp, no matter what, they always try to, you know, encourage competition. And this no. time, it seems like they meant it. Like There have been a handful <laughs> of names, and we'll talk through them as we go, that did not seem like they were in the mix for starting spots, even as recently as spring practices. And now they look like they might be on top of the depth chart. So that's odd and interesting and has to be a good thing. Like, we, if they're supplanting incumbents who didn't play well and they're playing better, that can't be bad, right? I do like that. You're like, that's so weird. Like, a coach doing what they said they were going to do. What kind of game is that? Well, I always take it as saying, no, you're right. You're right. Depth chart is writer. an open competition is a motivational technique, not a statement of fact. Yeah, no, I, you're to... completely correct. Yeah. <laughs> and and they seem to have done it. And we'll, we'll talk about the guys as we go, but one of those spots, I mean, we'll start with the quarterback. It's the highest profile. It's the most important position. And it's also one where we don't really know anything, which is odd. Uh, Christian Capel wrote about this in his most recent practice notebook that he seemed to think that Michael Penix has been the most consistent, but not necessarily the most dynamic of the quarterbacks. And there's nothing from the division of reps or how they've been allocated with different uh, parts of the roster to indicate anybody being ahead of the rest of the group. So 
I don't know. What are your thoughts right now on the quarterback competition and where you think it's going to end up? For, well, two, a couple of thoughts. One, the fact that he's dividing it up, at least up until this point, where it's like one guy gets the, the vast majority of the reps with the ones every day, and they just kind of rotate based on day instead of based on, you know, like session in one practice. Uh, the first day or two that they were doing that, I'm like, oh, this is odd. And But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, this should be a standard practice. Like that should, that should be a standard practice across the country because when you think about like how people get better, like it's by having consistent reps and like within a, within a time period where you're actively building on that in that moment, instead of when you're breaking it up, like they do in most football programs and at UW, including UW up until this administration, when you think about like how that is conducive to players being able to build on what they're seeing and doing it totally makes more sense to do what Kalen DeBoer's doing and that's not me being like Kalen DeBoer's a genius we're gonna win everything but it is we'll get to that later yeah well I mean he is obviously but um but so I do actually I do just enjoy him doing that process differently I'm sure he's not the only coach to do that so and then my follow-up about the actual performances is to me, it seems like reading into what we had, the reports have been, I feel like uh, Dylan Morris is pretty much uh, being like what we were kind of expecting where he's doing better than what he did last year, which is a given because last year was uh, redacted, but still clearly hit his, the I, I I don't know it, he seems like he's doing less a lot good to come back than from. the other two yeah like I mean we've talked about this at nauseum like he just had so much to come back from and I seems to me like the reports mostly have made it seem like he's not I don't want to say the least impressive because probably a little bit more slightly more consistent than Heward but with Heward's trajectory being you know making a mistake and then learning from it and then making another mistake and maybe another and then you know because that's how progress is made early last week I think where it was like oh he were through a really shitty interception and then he followed up with three touchdowns and yeah. like I feel like that in the end is probably between Penix and Heward um, which I don't think I'm saying anything novel but we just needed to see that I think going into spring or going into fall, everyone probably say that, but I think a lot of that would be wishful thinking when we said that. <laughs> um, and I, I think, I think it all, a lot of it mostly comes down to probably the next week or so of like seeing if you were, obviously uh, the media doesn't get to watch the next week of practices or so who knows what it will be, but behind closed doors, I feel like he could win it if he shows the ability to, kind of have that short memory along with learning, you know, and, and building on, uh, I kind of almost want to call it like a dialectic of like his own. I mean, usually you talk about dialectics in uh, terms of like intellectual movements and like how <laughs> groups of people think and all that. But I feel like that's kind of, it's a, it's the same process as far as your own personal and individual growth and skills. And so in young quarterbacks, like, I don't really care if he throws an interception what I don't I, like I obviously if by the end of the the fall camp he's still chucking interceptions and not you know and, and doing the same mistakes consistently then like yeah obviously you're going to play Penix and I think for what it's worth it sounds like Penix has been yeah like maybe not as dynamic but 
has that very high floor that is yeah I, I think the floor and ceiling terminology is kind of how I look I've been looking at it Same, probably yeah. oversimplifying it but I sure. think of Penix as being a floor raiser and Hubert as being a ceiling raiser mm-hmm. and if the team was on the outskirts of being a national title contender maybe you need that little extra juice of getting Hubert out there and seeing mm-hmm. if he can push you beyond you know those other top contenders or even if it was you know a close race for the conference title or something I don't know if the team's goals are necessarily I think that it we may be in the cycle where the coaching staff wants to establish that they can be competitive and they can be one of the better teams in the conference. Yeah, definitely. Put together a winning record, bounce back from where they were last year. Yeah. And doing that, you might opt more for the floor raising option of yeah. Penix. Yeah, definitely. And, but, but the fact that Heward is showing the high ceiling is exactly where you want him to be at this stage in his development. I mean, I guess where you'd want him to be is – Trevor Lawrence at this point, but (laughs) you know, if it's not stagnant and he is showing the ability to get to his crazy talent, that's very positive. And I'm very excited about that. I know that in in the NFL for young quarterbacks, like rookie quarterbacks, the volume of interceptions is a predictor of future success, both because it means they're trusted enough to stay out there and do it a lot, but also because it shows like a willingness to take risks and, and, lean into your talent and I I think the same I don't know if the same statistical models apply in college probably not because there's more variance between the best and the worst players but I think the same principle applies to in Heward's case where you want to see him doing the things that can result in high-end success not just kind of scraping by sure I completely I, I I didn't know that that statistical model applied to the NFL but that totally makes sense and I I very much agree that I think that's at least in theory is it's a very applicable to what you want to see from him of, of just like, you can't have a, a young quarterback who's afraid to make mistakes. And obviously you're not, you don't want to play him while he's still making those mistakes in the process of learning to not make them. But yeah, the, the thing that I feel like you see this, I feel like you see this so often in the NFL and I don't, you know, I don't want to see this with him of where pretty much these dudes get drafted by dog shit franchises uh they're like thought of as the savior they obviously make mistakes because they're like 21 years old and they're still learning everything they're learning the speed they're learning the playbook the verbiage like how to read an nfl defense and then people are like oh my god they're so bad well you know and even sometimes the gms like move on from them way too quickly and they don't develop them because because they are in because you're not allowing them to have like a process of getting better which involves failing Uh, and yeah and and that's similar to to what I feel like we're seeing from him is that like you don't you don't want to put him on a short leash and you don't want to play you don't want to play him before he's ready because of the fact that you kind of have to put a, a player when they are quarterback one on a short leash so so I I do appreciate what the implication is of the reports of Heward's uh evolution I should say over the last few weeks yeah and if 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 we're our assumptions are off and he does win the job even more encouraging but I don't think the fact that I I think we kind of went into this expecting Penix to have the inside track like he wouldn't be coming here unless he had a really good chance to play yeah Um, but Uh, oh sorry go on yeah taking that for what it's worth if if that somehow isn't how this story ends even better for Heward. Makes me a little bit scared, but 
it would be exciting. Yeah. No, I think I think like I'm totally happy if if Penix is like if he's a starting quarterback in week one, I'm like, cool, great. Uh, you know, if that gives cured as long as he himself is patient and his family is patient, and he doesn't have people in his ear being like, You're awesome, you're better than that, go transfer. Then then I think that could theoretically end up actually being the best case scenario for him where he is able to pretty much take a year of just no pressure or, or uh, you know, just working to make progress personally as like the true number two in a real functional offense. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a scenario where uh, scenario where Heward is quarterback one. I don't think that's super likely, but it could happen leading into this year or where Penix wins it and Heward just gets the year to just solely work on getting better. And honestly, I'm okay with either of those scenarios, depending on what's best. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, let's talk everybody. The natural progression here would be quarterback, running back, wide receiver, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to the There's offensive something crazy. line next. Okay. Yeah, really That's not too walk crazy. on the wild size. Uh, talk about the offensive line. Uh, so things we know right now, uh, Jackson Kirkland's going to miss week one, some weird eligibility shenanigans dealing with his declaring and then getting injured and then de-declaring and for some reason that cost him a so game it doesn't it, it has zero logic but i mean are we gonna you know get that worked up about the depth chart for kent state like if that was the thing that was gonna win or lose that game we have other problems um it sounds like they've been experimenting with different alignments with and without kirkland in the lineup uh the one thing that kind of jumped out to me is uh, rosengarten seemingly getting the bulk of the first team reps at right tackle ahead of uh, Victor Kern and the rest of the incumbents who have played more than him, uh, probably a little bit ahead of his development curve, which is very uh, encouraging. Any thoughts on the rest of the offensive line or Rosengarten seemingly kind of seizing the moment and, and becoming the best of that uh, or the earliest of that touted offensive line class to look like a potential starter? Yeah. Uh, I just think this is an example of like how great it is to or like why it matters to obviously to recruit well but like why just having like a stable of players uh at any give in any given like unit that can where there's not any one clear guy like having a, a, a uh multiple high talent players at at every position because you know, I don't want to speak too soon because like who knows how who knows who is best and how they're doing. But like if Roger Rosengarten beat out Kern legitimately and and after, you know, he's playing for two or a year and a half realistically. Yeah, awesome. Like I feel like especially with the offensive line uh, where we, we like Washington fans went for so long of being like, well, I guess we'll have these guys <laughs> like being able to actually have like many high-end um skilled players <laughs> where it's like if whoever is out there you know that realistically that is like legitimately the best guy that's important and like <laughs> obviously it, it sucks that you know who knows like this is scott huff's year as a coach on the field where like if the line isn't significantly better this year like he's out of here but I mean, the last few years, 
not not this class necessarily, but, but as, you know, from when when was he hired? Twenty seventeen. I think that's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. After the after um, yeah, Strasser went to Indianapolis, or was fired and then went to Indianapolis. Um, I like the the one good thing is like yeah, if it weren't for him, we I mean he is he is the reason why we have this whole you know a lot of raw talent in the offensive line group. So so that that makes me happy just as a sign of like of just that being true and then whether the performance works out who knows but it's been yeah. a very weird uh, like reputational roller coaster for Huff. It really has. I, I, I went yeah. back I was doing some prep for one of the the preseason preview pieces we were writing and I was looking back at some of the old offensive line previews that we have written in past years and it was funny how the first couple of years we talked about Huff being a good tactician and a good teacher and developer of talent, but questioning whether he could really recruit at a high level uh, and pointing to guys like Nick Harris and uh, Trey Adams, who he developed from kind of middling recruits to NFL players. Wait, Trey Adams was a four star. Uh, Is that what people? A borderline four star. Right? Yeah, and he played okay, right yeah. away. I think that was maybe the more. Yeah, but he played uh, right away under Strausser. That's true. Uh, but that's because Strasser couldn't recruit shit. Okay, sorry, but we digress. And, and the, but the reputation pivoted 180 degrees to he has put together this great recruiting class, the 2020 offensive line class, which is now starting to bear fruit. Uh, but in the meantime, between 2020 and now, the offensive line has just played horribly, like better uh, regarded players just doing much worse. And when you look at the rest of the team, you can kind of just be like, yeah, well, you know, the coaching staff was just a mess. Like we just yeah. really missed, but they kept Huff. Like he is ultimately responsible for the offensive line. And you could say it's part of the larger offensive scheme that he'll do better with improved play calling that, you know, things like blitz pickups and uh, being able to use the offensive lineman to, to pull more often and get out in space is part of the larger system. Oh, please God. But it's a little bit scary that it's the same guy. Yeah, like, I that, totally. It brought back maybe not the worst unit on the team from last year, but the most underperforming one relative to what would appear to be their talent level. Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot. There's a, like you said, he has a, a lot of pressure. There's a lot riding on that yeah. uh, success of that position group this year. I'm just thinking about how like existentially jarring this whole, this whole discussion maybe not existential on that level but uh just 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 pure jarring that is that it's like i hope i hope he works out in this because and, and it's such a linchpin to the rest of the team exactly yeah, yeah. It, you, you can't really get quarterback wrong and be really good but you can kind of like paper over things for most other positions and still be okay you can't really do that with the offensive line and it's a lot of the same guys like we're we're very grateful that we got Henry Benavalu and Jackson Kirkland back after it looked like they were both going to be gone at the end of last year. So we're replacing two offensive linemen instead of four. On the other hand, they were anchors of a unit that played pretty badly. And it seems like they should be better, but now we, we have to see it. That's all. Yeah, very fair. Uh, let's talk about the receivers and the tight ends together. I think we can kind of, the, the tight end, there's not that much of intrigue. We know that the depth chart is Devin Culp and Jack Westover, and there's not a lot of other guys' bodies there, but it might not matter as much with the scheme that we'll be using. 
honestly, you look at the receivers, this is probably the least concerning of any position group we're going to talk about. In a positive sense, it sounds like Jalen Polk is really good. <laughs> like he's not only uh, flashing more often in camp uh, than what we were able to see from him as he was out for most of last year with a, you know, exploded lung. And then uh, also sounds like Giles Jackson has been doing some interesting things. And the more you think about that, he's a gadget player. He's a very unique uh, type of body and skill set. And we had the least creative offensive minds in the world calling plays for him last year. It's not shocking that somebody who kind of requires creativity to get to their skills didn't benefit in that system. So I, I could see, you know, Polk and Jackson added on top of, Odunze and McMillan already being somewhat proven and, and quite good. This is kind of something to get excited about. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, just wrote the like 30 day countdown for like strongest position group candidates. And it felt really bizarre to not only include the receivers in that group, but then come away with it from that being personally that I'm like, yeah, this is the clear answer. <laughs> like, yeah. like, as far in after after years of speaking of we keep on mentioning i feel like now like past coaches that were um mediocre like brent pease and matt lubick and and all that after like the years of just terrible personnel management re like recruiting and, and being able to recruit i mean be, being able to get like talent on board and then develop it um after years of that being terrible and us being like or you know, Washington fans being like, yeah, Aaron Fuller would have been a good wide receiver three, but he was screwed by being put in a position where he couldn't thrive as a wide receiver one because he's not dynamic enough of an athlete. And it also was not in a scheme where younger, more talented players were able to come and like take some of the pressure off and blah, 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 blah. Like after years of, of that, being able to be like, to look at the roster and be like, yeah, this is one of the deepest groups, if not the deepest, it's the highest talent level of the two deeps uh it's in a scheme now that isn't you know completely hampering them <laughs> and we have an upgrade at coach that we were paid <laughs> by Oregon to do like that that it I'm just like well this is this is a freebie like it's it's such a bizarre position to be in and it is very fun I have to say yeah, I, I don't have a lot to add. I You said that about this being the easy choice for best position group. I had the mirror image of that writing the worst position group. And really, this is the only position group I couldn't make a case for including on the list. Like yeah. everything else, there's something you could get very worried about. Receiver, you know, don't want to jinx it, but just not really that worried about it. There's even good depth. All right. More confusing one. Let's talk about running backs. It's been confusing in the sense that we thought we kind of had an idea where this was going in spring practice, even though, you know, we had a hundred running backs on the roster and they were all injured to the point where we were using a, a walk-on quarterback playing running back. And hey, 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 now, now. hey, now, hey, now, I mean, that wasn't, we will not tolerate one. Wenatchee legend Camden Sermon slammer, slammer, slander, <laughs> Wenatchee slander, this Wenatchee. Uh, yes. So now we're at the point of, uh, it sounds like the top two guys on the depth chart are Wayne Taula Papa, transfer from Virginia, and Will Nixon from Nebraska, who also wasn't really a running back at Nebraska, was more of a slot receiver there who'd got a handful of carries. I, I guess trying to read between the lines, this entails more of a focus on pass protection and 
pass catching out of the backfield. Uh, I think the assumption is we are going to pass a lot more and maybe that's, that's dictating who's going to play. These guys do have more experience than most of the in-house options. And then, you know, returning players like Cam Davis, maybe you say, or Richard Newton, maybe say like, we need to cure them of some of the bad habits that developed the last couple of years. And, and Aaron Dumas from uh, the, the New Mexico transfer, who I guess because he was kind of the first guy in the door in, in terms of skill position transfers after DeBoer took over, it seemed like he was going to be a very important player in the running back room, hasn't really played in fall practice. So sorting through what the intention is going into the week one, I don't really have a good idea who's going to get the most carries or even what the demands of the position are going to look like. Do you have any feel for that beyond just my wild guesses? No, I feel like this is the most vibe check of the vibe checks. Actually, that's a lie. They're all very vibey. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that like, it sounds like Wayne Talapapa is like presumptive number one asterisk, maybe one a or whatever you want to call it. Obviously we are biased because he is coach B's friend from high school, but still. So I, I'm, I'm guessing it's him probably plus, plus some combination of, you know, I don't know if it was DeBoer or Grubb or, or, but one of them said something about like, you know, we could see a rotation of about three guys. They would prefer it to ideally be more about two players getting the majority, just, you know, to establish that rhythm kind of, which makes sense after, you know, we saw, I mean, A, it's just common knowledge of the importance of like getting in a rhythm and, and all that. But also after we saw last year where Jimmy Lake and Greg, Greg from flight of the, from the New Zealand consulate and flight of the Concords, <laughs> our offensive coordinator, were like, here, we'll play a different dude every snap and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, God damn it, dude. <laughs> like, like it's, it's it, like, you know, it makes sense why they'd want two or three guys to take the bulk of those carries and, and the four. I feel like who have been the most um, prominent, I suppose I'll say, at during fall seems to be Nixon, Talapapa, and then Newton and, or I should say Davis and then Newton, even though he's been injured for the first or, you know, held out ish for the first bit. Um, I'm kind of down with whatever uh, <laughs> people who know me know that I really like Cam Davis when he was a recruit and I still do. Um, and I think Newton's freaking fun, <laughs> but you know, if, if the other two are, are the, the, the best for the job, like I'm, it, it kind of reminds me of a similar to the like Rosengarten Kern thing. Like I'm not being like delusional about thinking like, Oh, these guys are all five stars and blah, blah, blah. But I do think it's something where, yeah, having, having all, like all four of those guys, I trust to, if you know, whoever two it was, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. So to uh, presumably it be the best two or three of those four. Like, I feel like that's a relatively good position to be in, especially considering that schematically, like they will be put in a far better situation to succeed than they were last year, where whoever the, like the whole running backs room was screwed from the moment the quarterback said, go like, (laughs) like there was pretty, you know, they didn't look great even within that context, but they, whatever it's like the opposite of being born on third base (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. is it coming to the coming up down o2 with uh shohei otani throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs at your head um 
so yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I think that's probably, I, I agree with you. I, this is one where, like you said, I don't really have a great feel for either what to expect from the individual players or from the team, like what their goals are for the running back position. Are they going to throw to them a lot? Are they going to platoon guys? We'll see what happens. And I think there are a number of talented guys there. So very open to seeing how it plays out over the first couple of weeks. Very different from last year where it was this feeling like, okay, I can see the potential of Cam Davis, but like, why are we just abandoning Sean McGrew right away? It like never, then, you know, gets yanked back onto the field a couple yeah. weeks later. Like there, I don't see a version of that playing out where it's like inexplicable that somebody isn't playing over somebody else. They're just a bunch of talented guys, hopefully with complimentary strengths. We'll find out about that one. Let's take a little break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the defensive position groups. Uh, keep vibing on those. So stick around and we will uh, come back and talk about it a little bit more. Woo. Welcome back. We've talked through all the offensive position groups. We're going to work our way from the line of scrimmage backwards on defense. Start on the defensive line, interior defensive line in particular. I think this is not a mystery, but uh, we kind of knew that Tuli Latuyasanoa is the guy on the interior defensive line, and we're trying to figure out who fits next to him there. Been a bunch of opportunities for Ulumu Ale, who now apparently weighs 333 pounds, a svelte. Slender athletic yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> 333 pounds but you know even if it's not him there are you know six or seven other interesting guys there like Tuatelli and Bandis and uh, Pehopa uh, Tuna Ufi all interesting players this is a little bit of the echoes of the offensive line where you say like oh man we got all these guys they're highly rated recruits they're really talented you can definitely see how this would be a huge plus and then you say but it's the same unit as last year and they were bad. So I, I don't know, like, how do you sort that through? If you have, if you're more optimistic about it than me, I'm, I'm kind of in wait and see mode and hoping that Inoki Brechterfeld does enough on the defensive line coaching that it quickly improves the level of play for a bunch of the same guys. Yeah. Um, I don't know why the way that you said bad made me laugh so much, but um, yeah, I, I'm a little bit, it, it, it kind of reminds me of like, if all the receivers were nowhere near close to showing like genuine, uh, like realize it, realizing their on in a, at the college level, like what their high school rankings were, the defensive line kind of reminds me of that in the interior where you have, there's just a lot of guys there's it a, it's really deep and it's every single, like, you know, if you go through the two and even theoretically three deeps for the defensive interior, like it, that those are all guys who have the potential uh, or the, who have a ceiling as like a legitimate, you know, as a legitimate player for Washington or for a, for a power five um, defensive interior. But it's just really in the words of Jake Browning, you don't win games on potential, uh, which he said the uh, during fall camp 2016, right before they won a lot of games by realizing potential. Um, so, so I don't, I always get, really nervous about uh position units like this where you're thinking like yeah yeah these guys they're they could be really good but but when there's nothing proven or very little proven you know like like Tuli is kind of the only guy there that you definitely can can feel like you can um really consistently rely on and even he hasn't been like that huge disruptor but um uh I do think though that 
and this also bleeds out to the linebackers um, and furthermore to the safeties that that switching up the defensive line to a from like primarily a two gap scheme that they had been playing for years to just uh, just a one gap you know responsibility I mean that takes off takes so much pressure off of them and off of like the individuals in that line I should say and it also doesn't rely so much on pretty much finding physical freaks like (laughs) like to take up two gaps and against massive human beings I mean you kind of have to be like Vita Vea and Greg Gaines and if you don't have like if you aren't consistently pulling in that kind of personnel well like yeah too bad then you're gonna what's gonna happen is like what we saw the last two years of oh why you, you can't just like pull up some dude out of your butt and make him dominate yeah. at the line of scrimmage and you know like that and um so I I do that that schematic difference does give me a little bit of optimism uh, as well as just like the depth of that unit but yeah it is scary not having having that low of a floor yeah and i think there's a lot of depth if one guy goes down uh but you're not that thrilled about what it would look like even if they're all healthy necessarily but that could obviously change pretty drastically like you said with the scheme change and also if you know brechterfeld is highly rated as a teacher and developer and if that starts to have an impact you don't need six of these guys to click you need like one of them to really click and if that happens it's going to make a big difference for the whole team yeah Uh, yeah. i think kind of the opposite situation is true on the edge where i feel pretty good about the first couple layers of the depth chart and then it's just kind of empty (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. just not a lot of depth like it's not hard to envision uh getting a uh like a true freshman or a redshirt freshman playing here who you wouldn't uh really anticipate getting playing time but at the top of the depth chart uh, between, you know, everything that you've heard about Braylon Trice has just been phenomenal. Uh, Jeremiah Martin's been solid and then ZTF coming back. Maybe the most interesting thing about this position group is ZTF getting a lot of reps with the, the second team, even though he's probably the best player on the team. I, yeah. I assume that this is some combination of working his way back to full strength and also focusing as more of a pass rush specialist, uh, maybe not being in as consistently on running downs which is fine I mean that's a real position a edge pass rush specialist uh any do you have any thoughts about ZTF the non-starter as it were (laughs) I think I'm kind of thinking of it almost as like I well actually all of the defensive line both the interior and the edge I have like a couple hockey analogies (laughs) and I'm almost thinking of it like when you look at like Braylon Trice being paired up with uh, Jeremiah Martin and then ZTF probably with Smalls and all that. Uh, it almost kind of reminds me of like, <laughs> like in hockey, how in, in the defensive pairings, you'll take like a more offensively minded guy and then like a quote unquote stay at home defenseman who's a little bit more conservative kind of. And then to, to work that dynamic, I think you're mostly right that it is more of a like kind of working him back up. But um, it, do, it does feel a little bit like when you look at the skill set dynamics, like like having trice and martin together like they would almost be a pairing instead of just mm-hmm. rotating all of the four you know those two ztf probably smalls kind of at will and and uh i had i had another hockey analogy for the edge versus the the defensive interior but i don't think i'm gonna use it because it involves our listeners having knowledge of 
the makeup of the Edmonton Edmonton Oilers roster versus Seattle versus the Kraken, which I don't think I don't think we have any people from Northern Alberta listening to this, so I won't. Um, huge, huge in Calgary, but just hasn't penetrated in, to Edmonton. Huge in Fort McMurray. Um, I don't know. Maybe we have someone listening to this who tuned in for a Danielle Laurie interview from BC yeah, and just stuck around ever since. But um, no, yeah, my thing was that that the edge kind of reminds me of Edmonton where they have like really good top two lines or one and a half in our case, you know, smalls has smell smalls has looked from all reports, like pretty significantly better at practice, but that's all that's, you know, you all, you know, always kind of take those reports with a grain of salt, the cliche of like, Oh, so-and-so's flashed, but, but where you have like Trice and Martin, you really trust ZTF, you really trust. And then below that, you don't really know, you know, if, if, if that position were, group were to get hit by injuries you're like "Mm, that's not that's really something you don't want because below that you might be kind of screwed but if they all stay healthy then it feels like a really really solid unit if you're able to rotate those four in like all game and Mm -hmm. get you know take two of them out to get them fresh and then put the other two in and just kind of swap 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 like that is a really solid solid group to have like if you have at any given time pretty much always have one of trice or ztf on yeah hell yeah <laughs> that, that rules yeah um, for sure yeah, yeah. and the, it's i mean this we didn't really talk about it on the interior defensive line but this applies on the interior and exterior that you really shouldn't expect anybody to play like 70 snaps a game uh, you yeah, want no, to have Ooh, the hockey God. shift <laughs> yeah uh, and and having depth in these spots matters a lot but that it's also why it's a little bit scary that you know you start talking about like even your fifth edge guy is super unproven you know, maybe that there's some untapped potential, but you're probably going to use your fifth edge guy a fair amount. That's, that's not a, mm-hmm. your fifth quarterback. Like this, this yeah. matters. Um, yeah. We talk about depth. I think inside linebacker is the place where it's probably scariest. If you told me we we're going into the season with Eddie Ulafosho and Cam Bright as our starting middle linebackers and kind of worked our way from there, uh, I'd be okay with that. The rest of the depth chart looks pretty good. Ulafosho, we don't know when he's going to be back. He's still injured. Probably going to be like half the season or more. Uh, so there's going to be opportunities. It sounds like Alfonso Tuputala has been the guy who sees that opportunity the most in practice. I have nothing to say about him. I mean, this we're talking about practice reports. You've seen like next to none of him in, in meaningful game action. And then you've got, you know, Carson Bruner, who is super up and down, up early, down late. Uh, in his cameo as a true fr- or as, as a freshman last year, there's uh, Daniel Hamuli, very talented, hasn't put it together yet, and then just you know Chris Mole, uh, Demario King, guys transferring from JUCO smaller schools, just know very little about them, and that's you know penciling in the one guy as a relative sure thing is someone who's never played at UW before in Bright. So all the way across the board is just like oh boy, this could this could be a trouble if it doesn't it doesn't work well early yeah it's definitely um yeah I definitely feel that I I, it is interesting that I I do think Tupatala was somebody who yeah we don't know a whole whole lot we can't like say anything definitive I feel like about his where he'll you know his, his level that he's playing at or that we saw him play at but he was definitely somebody who I was very intrigued by like when he even though he was in more limited snaps you know, last year it was, and then when did he get injured? Like 
or no, he came back halfway through the year, right? Yeah, he, yeah, and then he or, re-injured himself. I, I don't remember yeah. the whole time, but he, I know he was playing. He he came back early from his first injury, and there were some concerns that he wasn't fully healthy, and then he got re-injured after that. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do, I will say for what it's worth, like I definitely feel better about this group than I have in the last few years, just based on getting Cam Brighton um and and the fact that like we've seen car obviously Carson Bruner had you know did have some he started off great and then ended up not so great uh you know he was just up and down um but I and, and then you know having Tupatala in and stuff and and Chris Mole who is quite undersized um fast kind of I feel like I, I mean I haven't watched that much of his tape but the description is like very Ben Burkirvan ish um I, I do think partially just having just a little, little, little bit more depth with the, the transfer guys just makes me feel a little bit more comfortable about the floor, as well as the fact that, again, back to the defensive line, um, moving over to a one gap scheme, that makes me feel like, I mean, I, mean, I already talked about it pretty much that, that it, it, or at least I talked about it in regards to the defensive line, but it also the implications for that bleed out to the linebackers where it's just easier to make a read when you know, like, all right, this guy in front of me is cover is covering this area. So I'll, you know, you know where you have to go and it's less, it's, it, you don't, you just, you just don't have to prepare for such a large area of the field where if you're a guy who has trouble reading the play, that makes it extra, like, you know, <laughs> exacerbates those issues. So um, I do feel like the, yeah, the, the, the schematics of that, plus having a, at least a slightly higher floor do you make it, it does alleviate some of my concerns just as far as like how much this unit kind of bled everything dry yeah. in the past like I'm like all right well at least we know we're not going to completely be hemorrhaging from the middle linebackers or at least you know theoretically you mentioned mole size and the same applies to king uh to an extent that I kind of wonder if that's intentional uh, that there, or at least there's more of a willingness to compromise on weight. It's not even necessarily size. It's more just weight because uh, King and mole are both have the height of a prototypical inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they're just thinner and faster. And, you know, if you might say like, if you don't have enough size for your interior linebackers, other teams are going to be able to just run the ball down your throat. And I would say, yeah, but did you see Jackson sermon? Because he yeah. was big and that happened a lot. So yeah. size isn't the only, like it's not, you get big linebackers and it solves the problem of uh, power running backs, power running games beating you up. So, you know, maybe a little bit of extra speed. We certainly weren't susceptible to that, as you mentioned with Burke Irvin. So maybe trading some speed and recovery time uh, for size and ability to thump on the line of scrimmage might help a little bit. We'll see. Uh, let's talk about the secondary and this ties into the linebackers as well with the new Husky position, which I, I kind of think should be renamed. I don't think you can have a team called the Huskies in a position called the Husky. It's, it is a lot. It's yeah, it's too reductive. It's like the, what are the rest of the guys? Uh, are they not Huskies? Is there only one true Husky? <laughs> uh, I, but let's talk about, I, you know, I, I was, I think I've expressed on a couple of previous podcasts, a little bit of concern about, the secondary, just because there's such a talent train with Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie out the door, like two in the lineage of just phenomenal 
cornerbacks that Washington has produced, these are two of the better ones. They're just really, really, really good players. And replacing them isn't going to be easy. It has been very positive to hear that Jordan Perryman has looked, lived up to his reputation as somebody who can plug and play and be an above average starter right away. That's very, very encouraging because that at least locks down one one spot. It sounds like the other side for the cornerbacks anyway, there's some discussion about uh, Michelle Powell, who was a walk-on, played a fair amount last year, was decent, but not great. And uh, Devon Banks, who's a redshirt freshman, who's really come on strong in camp and also had a really strong spring. Uh, what are your thoughts on on the cornerback distribution and even you know into the safeties? Is, is there anything you're particularly excited about with this unit or um, more just wait and see with so many new faces? Uh, yeah, pretty much wait and see. I mean, I am feeling pretty good about Perryman. Like you said, like everything from everything that everybody's written about fall camp regarding him has been like, yeah, he kicks ass. <laughs> but I also agree. Like, I think uh, you know, fans like very much have to be honest with ourselves about like, there are plays that were made last year that will not be made this year. Like Trent, you cannot scheme or replacement wise or whatever like there's just stuff that kyler gordon and trent mcduffie could do that these people can't period (laughs) so from that perspective there is pretty much nothing that could happen where it wouldn't drop you where there wouldn't be a drop off um i do i totally agree though that yeah having perryman there and from what he's looked like does alleviate some of those concerns just as far as like how big that free fall could be. And I think, yeah, like, like uh, Michelle Powell kind of reminded me of a lower level version of Carson Bruner kind of the last year and a half or so where you're like, Oh, he's doing pretty like quite well considering what our expectations were. Right. Um, but then, you know, other stuff where you're like, Oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Very young walk on. Yeah, like, exactly. You're not going to just jump in and be an above average player. They're yeah. going to be, things you have to overcome along the way. And that doesn't mean Powell won't get there, but he's, he's not there yet. Like yeah. he was the third guy on the depth chart on a pretty mediocre team. Yeah. He, he, we can't just say like, yes, we're ready to go to the Rose bowl with this guy. Sure. That's not an insult to him. That's just how the development trajectory yeah, goes. I, um, like I think, and I think that's something that in many sports people, uh, people are oftentimes not very good at like, like we'll judge a player based on where they are in their trajectory or, and, and overly rely on that. I think someone is like, we'll overrate somebody based on how they have overperformed their, whether that's their ranking as a recruit or their draft position, if it's a professional North American sport, um, or we will completely flip that around and be like, you know, say, say like a true freshman preferred walk on, like makes the field, sees the field too soon, you know, quote unquote too soon because they have outperformed people, but they're still not quite at a level where you want them to be on, like you say, if you're a championship team and then people are like, Oh, this guy sucks because he's, you know, and it's like, well, you kind of have to take both those things into consideration. Um, so I think considering where he is in his, where in his development, I'm like, yeah, I thought he played quite well for somebody, but as a team, it doesn't matter where you play relative to your development. As far as if that, if that uh, receiver just skied you, uh, it doesn't, matter that you're a redshirt 
I, I guess with is he a now redshirt sophomore? I think he's still redshirt freshman with the, the COVID. I suppose that's true. Yeah, uh, there needs to be an extra term for that. <laughs> like you got yeah, sixth year freshman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think Banks is uh, somebody who's interesting too because it sounds like he's been really great. And also, I really just want um, I, I want him to over the next five, four or five years, I want him to do cool things because I really want the excuse to use as many Will Arnett as Devin Banks in 30 Rock gifts as possible. Uh, That's good. So personally, selfishly, uh, and without any regard for the success of the team, I want that. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think- He can be and, terrible as long as he's playing a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, and the other person who I'm kind of, like he hasn't shown up as much in practice reports, but who I am interested in, just kind of keeping an eye on that probably not for this year so much as just the next few is Elijah Jackson. Cause I think he's a very intriguing skill set. but yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's, he's another one who kind of like when you saw him in the spring game a little bit, like every time, not enough tape, not enough evidence to form a strong opinion, but the evidence that is there is super positive. Yeah. definitely. Uh, you may think that we're done because we've talked through all the offensive and position uh, defensive position groups, but that would be neglecting, our special segment, the Race Porter Memorial Punter Update, brought to you by Race Porter. We got an update on new uh, Race Porter Memorial Punter, Kevin Ryan, from our producer, Colin, who went to the uh, practice that was open to the public last week and said that Kevin Ryan had great hang time. So that's our, that's our punter update. Anything to add to that? Uh, just that if he makes me like him as a non-Australian punter, he will be the second ever non-Australian punter to make me life like him after race Porter. And, and if you hear that and you're like, but Gaby, John Ryan is an Australian um, false. He's from Canada, which is a former resident of Canada. I can tell you is Australia North Northern um, Australia. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. I don't know anyone who's lived in Vancouver who hasn't had an Australian roommate or yeah. <laughs> it's just true. there yeah it's it's australia um i like that i love punters punters are people punters are the only punters are the only good position punting is the only good position in any sport is that <laughs> dramatic i don't give a bleep that or don't i didn't really say it um yeah nope nothing i also like how we just completely avoided the safeties and we're like yeah they're part of the secondary who cares yeah I, I, don't really I, I will say I'm just the, excited for the them safety. to not be 500 miles off the line of script. That's true. That's I, really the only thing that needs to be It's really added. unfair to the guys that we've brought back because in my head, it's just like, oh, those guys aren't very good. But it's really not their fault that they were forced to like run a 40-yard dash to be involved in a play. <laughs> yeah. I actually am just, just as far as like a, a controlled variable. Like I'm excited to watch the safeties just because it's like the most – I feel like it's the most controlled variable of any position group where it's like, we have the exact same roster. We have pretty much, they're not being asked to do that much different. They're just going to be actually in the realm of the play. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Yeah. There's not really a great, I guess like the, the corollary to that would be like, if you're playing slow pitch softball and the, like the worst player on the team you put in right field and just like, Oh man, I hope nobody can hit the other way. <laughs> just that's just kind of the idea just like how do you intentionally take somebody out of the play like yeah. that 
Yeah. Oh, but Jim, that, Jimmy Lake yeah. was galaxy braining it. Yeah, but, but they're not like trying to cover up somebody who doesn't belong on the team. These guys are talented stupid. players. Uh, let's them. finish our football talk and do our non-football talk. Uh, do our most entertaining non-football thing of the week or a plug if you have anything that you want to plug. Uh, do you want to go first or should I jump in while you um, uh, read the notes that you absolutely prepared before we started on this subject? Oh, I will say what's the date today the 15th yeah okay i will say um i am if you're in okay i will say okay i will plug something if you're in bellingham travis nelson and chase myers run a really fun show at the aslan depot um it's like it's in downtown i want to say like magnolia or state street or something pretty much it's where the aslan brewing tap room is and then you go like a block in a direction and yeah it's a really fun really fun comedy show there and the staff there's rules so i like them because they were cool because they gave us free beer so if you're bellingham go to that um as well actually they um you can find them on twitter at i don't remember wait i'm gonna figure that out <laughs> just, just you can find yeah travis and chase at i don't think chase is really on he's on twitter but he's not really on it that often um at travis at travis is joking um and they run like a kind of like a i almost want to say like a mini tour where they'll get like a group of comics and they'll do shows and i think bellingham seattle there's like a couple of different ones in seattle a couple different one in bellingham one in like hoquiam somewhere kind of weird like and, and i think maybe tacoma or olympia or something and they always have really great lineups they're really funny they run good things uh you know a show is good when it is when everyone has a good time, even though the lights are, even though it's like light out, because mm-hmm. if anyone has ever been to uh, stand up stuff is even in, remotely involved in any sort of live comedy thing, the number one way you can ruin a show is by not turning off the goddamn lights. <laughs> Bad lighting ruins. Shows. So when you have good lighting and everything goes well, um, or when you have like light out lighting and everything goes well, that means it's great. Uh, because you uh beat the odds so those are fun i recommend that what else i don't know i'm doing my auditions for seattle international comedy competition on i think the 25th of august but those are like weird shows where you only do like a five to seven minute set so like come to that if you want don't if you don't want to because you're strong endorsement Yeah. yeah i mean like do it if you want to but like you're not I'm going to be doing a very condensed thing where I tell snakes to suck my dick. Probably actually, I probably won't do that because I'm not going to do that. If I only have that much time, um, you can hear me talk about the concept of, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not giving it away. I'm not giving it away for free. Yeah, good move. Yeah. That's, that's not a plug. That's a, that would be a sample and we don't have that section on this yeah, show. No, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have anything as exciting as that, but I did start watching the new David Simon it's newish David Simon show on HBO called we own this city. Uh, David Simon made the wire, which is my mm. favorite TV show ever. And this is kind of like revisiting it 15 years later or whatever, mm-hmm. not explicitly, but it's set in Baltimore and it sure. involves the police and criminals. And uh, I've only watched the first episode, but I'm completely hooked and we'll go back and continue watching it as soon as we're done tonight. Ooh, that sounds Very lovely. excited for it. I don't know why it took me this long to watch it. I, I, I was in one of those, push and pull um 
marital situations where we're both kind of like, well, I want to watch this, but I want to watch this. And we settle on watching something completely different. And this has been deprioritized, finally got to it. And it's great. <laughs> that, um, I love that. Now, and the thing thinking, we got yeah. stuck on in the in the interim was the bear, which was also pretty good. So I'm not mad about that. I okay, so I've heard the bear is great, but I also before I even knew what it was, I the first my introduction to it was uh, a comedian from she's from Illinois, uh, and um, um, Ashley Ray, I think, yeah, uh, and she I just saw this Twitter thread thread where she was ragging on it because apparently the way that it portrayed Chicago and the neighborhood specifically of Chicago that that restaurant is set in she was like this is horseshit that is nothing like like <laughs> that is not even remotely like and like just like the very minutiae like chicago specific minutiae and she was just like dragging on it for that and now like i can't even though i have i have never been to chicago i have no idea like i could totally watch that without having any of that in my head uh, or like you know without it ruining because i don't have any context but like i i can't do that now <laughs> like i won't this, be able yeah. to do it without just being like but this lady who I don't know. This reminds me of my wife's discussion of like the Seattle geography that's implied by Grey's Anatomy, which oh, yeah. I, I don't know all of it, but it's like everything in Seattle is within a like three minute walk and seven minute drive of each other. And mm -hmm. you can somehow like both see across Puget Sound and um, like in both directions from the same hospital or something. Anyway. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a tv show it's yeah, probably okay yeah it's like the the sociology and the socioeconomic version socioeconomic chicago version of the geography geography of seattle thing in Grey's anatomy yeah, although i've never seen natural. an episode of Grey's anatomy so yeah. i'll take your wife's word for it <laughs> I, I don't think she would lie about that It'd be a very weird thing to get to lie about that would anyway. yeah, i would respect that because it's yeah. so specific yeah and pointless yeah uh, i think that's probably taken us far enough afield that we could probably wrap up uh, so make sure you join us next time. We'll be back probably, if not sooner, than to preview week one against Kent State when we know a little bit more about what the lineups will actually be. And we can go into our super in-depth discussion of all of the strengths and weaknesses of Kent State's returning production. I don't even remember what the name of the school is. Are they the Flashes? Golden Flashes. Wait, yeah, no, that's okay. Wichita State. Shit. That's shocking. I swore no, a lot you're right. on this one. I think it's because I haven't been on an episode in like two months. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are no akron zips but among the cooler uh mac mascots but anyway cody pickett is going to be here next time possibly maybe um oh, we definitely. probably have to ask him first but it seems probable yeah. always getting closer so thanks for listening and go dogs go dogs indeed